You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Hey, here we are. I am uh, joined today by professional and personal development coach and author, but it is safe to say I have not had anyone on the show like Brad Birchnell. He talks about a lot more than just rah-rah positivity and coaching believe-in-yourself philosophies. Those things are great too. Don't get me wrong. I talk about that stuff myself, positive affirmations, meditation, all that stuff is wonderful. But Brad also talks about the stuff a lot of us find hard to discuss. Grief, suicide prevention, PTSD. In short, he talks a lot about healing, and that's what I want to discuss with him today. Without further ado, he joins me from just outside of Detroit, Michigan. Welcome to the show, Brad Birchnell. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Good to see you. Yeah, good Good to finally uh, talk to you in person. You know, I, we exactly. followed each other and commented on each other's stuff a lot, mm-hmm. but uh, nice to, to virtually officially meet you. I want to talk about what you do, but I want to talk about your journey first because I, I think you sure. you need that with the to to understand the second part. It's been my experience that almost no one becomes a grief or healing coach or counselor without having gone through it themselves. So tell the listeners your story. Uh, in some places, you've talked about personal childhood traumas, and in other right. places, about your daughter's uh, taking her own life. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us the story of how you got to be you the you that you are today? Oh, wow. Uh, back when I was a small child. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that there is, everybody comes from such a impacted in, you know, environment. It, it's so different from generation to generation and mine's no different. When I was a very young child, you know, my dad was, uh, came from an orphanage. He had a very rough childhood, you know, lost his sister and, and old and his dad in a fire, uh, wards of the court. So that impacted him and that followed him, separated from his baby sister, never saw her again, went off to war in Korea, battle wounded, laid out in the field for three days, never said that he was going to ever walk again, let alone live. Wow. And that impacted him. So as a result of that, that followed into my mom and dad's relationship because dad's temper was very volatile. Mm. Uh, it wasn't that he was a bad man. It's just, did he ever hit my mom? No, never did. Uh, he would hit thanks. He yep. would never hit, hit, hit my mom. Um, it was just very challenging. Uh, I remember one time uh, as a child, you know, trying to surprise him and him being a third degree black belt and coming in from you know, from Korea, really, you think about it at that time frame, he had just been out of Korea for a relatively short period of time. So I went flying. Yeah. And that really impacted me. My my mental state at that point was my mental safety was mm. was gone. You were scared of your dad? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, had a, I had a healthy respect for my dad before that. But after that, it was just you know, I saw the, you know, I had to keep on my dad's good side. I didn't want to make him mad. Yeah. So 
you know, you see those things as a kid when you're very small, it, it, it challenges your perception of your world. Um, I talk about in my book about, you know, one of the other traumas I had within dealing with my mom and who I just adore. But, you know, my brother and I are 13 months apart to the day. Do the math. Okay. I was, I was conceived four months after my brother for two summers in a row, you know, with another baby. And she was not happy. So in my mind, it became, I was not wanted. Mm. And that really played in on my psyche for an awful lot. And that really formed uh, some major challenges as far as for attachment issues that I really didn't learn about till much later. And they don't talk about those things when, you know, in, when you're a kid or right. at least even at that time, you know, so you deal with some of the bullying issues as I had happened in, in high school and junior high school. So all those things start compacting. And as you look at those, how does that, how does that affect you? So I could, could just come back after a year and a half in the Navy being stationed on Midway Island. My dad is, you know, my, my compass. He had, he was the one that I went to on every major decision. Mm-hmm. So here it is, May of 1980. And dad was just experiencing some, you know, some pretty bad stomach discomfort. You just see him just wringing his hands. I said, dad, what is going on? He said, I don't know. He says, I got some pain. He goes, I can't figure out what it is. He goes, I got going to go see the doctor. Yeah. So they figure out what it is. It's pancreatic cancer. Wow. So here I am. It is, you know, I'm just south of 22 years old. Mm-hmm. My my dad has been my compass for so long. And the person that I always wanted to eclipse, I was constantly competing with my dad in every single way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I wanted to be be like him in some ways and I wanted to be better, better than him in some ways. Yeah. Which, you know. When you're looking at people, and that's the biggest challenge for healing is when you're competing with anybody, it should be yourself. If right. you're competing with somebody else, that's an external validation issue. And it becomes so challenging within people. So as I'm going through this and I'm looking at it, you know, as the months go by, here it is, it's December. And dad has, has diminished from this 180 pound vital man down to somebody that's 108 pounds. John just looking just not great. And I'm just like, you know, I'm an emotional mess. So as I go through this, here I am. I did just lost a girlfriend. I get a call. I'm on duty. I met with my dad the day before. The day before that I was with my dad was December 6th. And it was a Saturday. Mm. So here I'm on duty. I'm in the Navy. It's December 7th. Hmm. Pearl Harbor. Day. So here I am. I'm just like, and I get a call from my CO hmm. and it's exactly at 6.50 a.m. I'm like, hmm. oh, really? Yeah. So I had to go on emergency leave and I'm just flying to get to my dad. And it's just each time that you look at these things that end up happening, it's just another Nick. It's just another hmm. Nick. So here I am, failed marriage. My mom and dad had been married up until death. And I'm just like going, what a failure am I? And I, but I didn't want to fail at being a dad. So as I'm moving through all of this, you know, Beverly starts having issues. So as she she went to um, San Diego State and was a psychology major, hmm. graduated, 
And she goes, dad, she goes, my neck, what's my next step? And I said, well, in order to be, I said, what do you want to do? She goes, well, I'd like to counsel people. And I said, well, in order to be a clinician, you have to get your master's. She was doing really well, happy. Things were going great. Right until her practicum period, which is residency for really clinicians. And when you get to a certain level, you have to either work with a, someone that is a licensed therapist or work under one. Either way, you're going to have to do it. There's a certain amount of hours that you have to do. So she had three three options. One was working with girls at risk. One was working with one of her professors in marriage and family, which was eventually what she was wanted to go to. Or the third one was pediatric hospice and working with little kids in art therapy. Wow. Okay. And my daughter is highly empathetic and she attaches, I mean, to the, to the nth degree. So when a little kid hurts, she hurts. Mm-hmm. And I was extremely concerned with the choice that she was leaning towards. And I said, baby, I says, I have friends of mine that are deal with hospice right now. And the amount of time that they have to spend with a therapist. Yeah, I, I, said, are you, I said, are you prepared to, to lose little ones? Yeah. And she goes, Oh dad, I can handle it. I said, I said, I just don't, I said, I said, I'm concerned. I said, you have to make your own choice. I said, but I'd really prefer you to go to the other two. Yeah. Well, she chose pediatric hospice because she thought that I told her that she couldn't do it. Just the opposite. I knew she could. I just, yeah. I was, I was concerned. Right. In her, she had two practicums left. She dropped out of school. She had talked to one of her friends and said, you know, I'm, she goes, I'm just a bad person. So there was something psychologically going on. She had struggled with anorexia and bulimia for a long, long time. And she gotten over that. Um, She had also had some other addictive behaviors towards alcohol. Mm -hmm. So as she's going through all of this, she calls me up one day. She goes, dad, can I come home? And I said, no. I said, I think it's important for you to face your demons where you're at. I'm mm-hmm. happy to pay for therapy. I'll be out there as much as you want me to in order to help you. I said, I don't care. I'm going to move heaven and earth for you. Right. And I gave her some things that I would recommend to do. A couple of days later, I get a phone call from her mom that she had been in an auto accident. She was coming back from Big Bear mm-hmm. um, from skiing. And I have pictures of the car still. It, it was a little Mini Cooper. And it went from, if, if anybody sees what a Mini Cooper is, here's this is what it looks like in normal. <laughs> this is what it looked like after the accident. So like half the size, pretty much. Less than, less wow. than. I, mm-hmm. I still don't see how she survived. It was initially when I got there, I thought, oh, she lost patrol. Something ended up happening because they found open containers in her car. Mm. So that ended up happening. Uh, You know, I remember the physician saying, hey, listen, could she have tried to commit suicide? And I said, no. Later, I found out that it was an attempt. Oh, wow. Okay. She tried. That was in 2016. 2017, she tried again. She was committed in a 51 5150, uh, where they have to put her under psychiatric evaluation. She got injured at the facility. Is that like the in Florida? They have something called the Baker Act, where you though yeah. if if you tell the uh, the authorities, hey, I think this person's suicidal, they will confine them for like 
48 or 72 hours. Yeah, to do an evaluation to see if they're right if they're harm to themselves or the public. Yeah, that's exactly what she was. Okay. She got she had injured the facility, hurt her neck, had to go to the hospital to get corrected. Uh, unfortunately, after that, she was, you know, the amount of pins that they had to put in her was just just enormous. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the magnitude, and she was in pain ever since. Had an open, still had an open wound from the act first accident. So as she's going through this, and so in 2018, um, she and her mom were, and some friends were supposed to go on top of a nine-story apartment building in Central California and watch the sunset and having, you know, Coke floats or whatever. And her mom went to go downstairs to get a few things. Bev went upstairs up onto the, uh, the top of the apartment building and ended up jumping and taking her life by by suicide. Um, I remember the call that I had gotten from her mom. It was at, I woke up for some reason, my phone was vibrating. It was in the bathroom in their master suite. And I just remember just being deadpan about it. And I told my ex-wife and I said, Hey, listen, uh, Bev took her life last night. And, uh, you know, you think you're prepared for it. Um, you think at that point you were, you know, the five stages of grief that were you were in denial or I was in numbness. It was just, yeah. OK, thank you for telling me type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, it was just one of those things you prepare. Um, and I remember going through the motions. I remember alcohol was a big friend of mine at that point in my life. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, I'm going, sure. Going through that. Mm. Uh, I remember I had her read her eulogy at the, uh, at the service yeah, and talked to a number of her friends and her friends really helped me kind of fill in some of the pictures. Um, so I know but that, it was challenging. I know that your, your diagnosis of PTSD, that was somewhat rooted in the, the childhood traumas that you discussed earlier. Did no. this, Oh, okay. So was this the, was, the cause? Was, then? I, I think, you know, talking to my therapist, he says the cumulative component of that, he says, was the underlying. But, you know, for that three-year duration and then ultimately with the issue with that ended up transpiring, he says okay. that just you just became into a break. I see. Um, I want to ultimately get to what you do now, which is actually you help people deal with trauma. And uh, yeah. Um, but before I ask that specific question, I have sure. one last one about uh, your own battles with, you know, PTSD or depression or anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. do you, I I know that, you know, people who've survived cancer. Uh, we both know Shar Murphy. She's a four time breast cancer survivor. I'm sure, you know, others, and I'm sure you've lost people to cancer. Well, you talked about your dad. In fact, I didn't want to interrupt you, but, um, my mother died a little more than two years ago from pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And uh, I actually had that set up in the questions to ask you later. And oh, then we talked yeah. about your dad. And I was yeah. like, I was like, I relate more than, you know, Brad. Um, yeah. But, um, anyway, my question in, at this point is uh, people who survived cancer, uh, w- whether it's in remission or there's just no trace of it altogether left, they often have a fear now, like a newborn fear that it'll come back. Or, or addicts who've, who've overcome alcoholism or drug addiction, even several years of recovery and sobriety, often fear that it could come back at any time. Do you yeah. ever fear that depression, anxiety, or hopelessness would return to you 
or do you feel that you're equipped now and you have the tools to deal with a mental health issue swiftly? You know, it's interesting. I actually thought about that. Um, I don't think I'm afraid of it anymore. Uh, I think it's just because uh, that part of my life has so dramatically changed Mm. uh, because the healing part of it really came through writing and, and really breathing meditation. People think, Oh gosh, that's great. You know, another, another, another one of those, you know, that type (laughs) of California, but you know what, there's an awful lot of things that are rooted in, different philosophies that you can end up, you know, taking from and looking at and examining. And that's exactly what I did as a result of looking at that deep work and doing it every day. It's not a one and done application. Once you get yourself equipped, now what you can do is you can better enable and engage with yourself to say, why am I feeling that way? What's bringing that up? Why am I feeling that way? And really sit with that and just go, hmm, well, that's interesting. Why? Yeah. Instead of reacting, now you can respond. And yeah. I think that those are the things that's a differentiation. Yeah, I think that that you nailed it there. That's why I, I use the wording, like, do you feel like you're more equipped now? And, and obviously you are. And I, I think you really nailed it when you said, like, I'm not afraid of it. Like, you, you, you recognize that it could revisit you, but you also mm-hmm. are, are aware of how to deal with it head on instead of putting it in that uh, blender that you talked about. Well, let's talk about your contribution to the book, Mission Hope. Uh, what did you have so much to write about? What did, but uh, yeah. you're confined in time and space. What, uh, what did you write about? And, you know, without giving away a spoiler, give us a takeaway from, from if well, people the, read your story. I think from, I looked at it from, you know, the issue that I ended up having with my daughter and, dealing with that particular aspect of my life and that particular chapter of my life and that chapter in the book Mm. is when you look at a lack of hope, you look at it's an abyss. How did I end up getting through that? Mm. You look at, you know, survivor's guilt. You look at it from, you have, you know, from my perspective as a man, you know, my job is to go ahead and, and look out for, you know, for, you know, the way I was raised, you look, Brad, you look out for the weaker sex. Mm. That's the way I was raised. Yeah. You look out for your kids, you know, and then I go off to serve my country for 15 years, yet I can't save my daughter. So here's all these things going on in my head. Mm. And how do I process all through that? Yeah. And how do, how do I locate that, that glimmer of hope? And how does that end up playing out in in my life? And what does that look like? And how does that shape itself? And can I even get back to that? Can I climb out of that hole that I was in? And how do I hang on to that that knot at the end of the rope, which is hope? You know, people look at it. Well, gosh, what's hope? Hope is that end of you know the knot at the end of the rope that they can hang on to. That people think, well, someone's going to rescue you. Yeah, that person is you. Yeah, I, I think people can experience survivor's guilt even when <clears throat> it's not something, you know, uh, well, I mean, like my mother, uh, I, when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and I I was here in Japan and I, I went back to visit her, you know, I was there when she passed and, you know, she had just 
deteriorated. She just withered away, and yeah. uh, it was so it was so hard to watch because I used to call her the Iron Lady, you know, like Margaret Thatcher. I, I said, you yeah. know, she's going to outlive us all, and uh, it was so hard to see. And when she did pass, I had guilt like was I a good enough son? Did I, you know, did I, I mean, there's nothing I could have done to stop pancreatic cancer, but I could have been better in this way or that way, you know? And yeah. I, I had to sort of face that stuff. Like, you know, did, I, I had remorse, you know, for stupid sure. stuff I had said or done in the past. But. And that's where a lot of that ends up coming within, you know, by the way, you wouldn't be human if you didn't think about that. <laughs> well, good. Honestly, not... <laughs> you know, really that, that, you know, I look at, uh, I ended up having a post on, on LinkedIn the other day, and I was talking about something very similar of, you know, on suicide, what ends up happening for suicide and how many men uh, take their lives every that. hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, Six, 60 or something like that? Or? 60 every 60 minutes. Yep. I saw that one. Yeah. So as you, you look at that, then it's my, I look at my goal every day is I'm not going to make you feel comfortable. I don't want you to because comfort breeds contempt it just mm. breeds complacency and if you're complacent then you know how do you start improving every day not not against anybody else but within yourself and what is the trigger to get into you that will drive you to make change mm. so brad what else you got going on now uh i know you've written several books and you've co-authored uh, yeah so what what are you working on now and and how can people find out more about you well, I'm right now. I'm working on another book with uh, Lashar, and it's called Mission Faith. Nice. Um, and it is uh, my book is really talking about. At least my section of the part of the book is going to be talking about how the transition from my space of peacefulness and how I started really trusting more again, and I allowed myself to trust. And they could they can contact me via my Calendly, I have that out um, via my my website uh, from my heart to yours. But if you want to take a look at it, it's www.fmhtyllc.com. Yeah, I've got and that. That go is a little hard it. to remember. But if, if people want to, I'll have it linked in the notes so they can just click on it. Yeah. Uh, and But if they if someone's listening to this and they just are they're trying, they can't write it down or click on the uh, yeah. the link. It's for my from my heart to yours, LLC. Right. So F-M-H-T-Y-L-L-C dot com. Yes. And they can get a hold of me via uh, I'm on um Obviously, on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm also looking at turning my um, book from my heart to yours. I'm not my mistakes into an audio book. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. If anybody's interested and they want to get a free copy of the ebook, nice. And that one is free. They can they can access yeah. that book for free. That's awesome that you you yeah. you've given that out to people that need it so uh that is all folks uh go get mission hope uh brad's uh, latest endeavor and and then go get the free book um from my heart to yours i am not my mistakes um go to uh, uh from my heart to yours llc.com that's f-m-h-t-y-l-l-c.com a link will be in the show notes it's inspiring stuff um after you go get mission hope and uh, check out Brad's website. Head over to zensandwich.com and find out how you can help this show continue its mission. Uh, info on how to support this podcast is found right at the top of the page. 
Brad, thank you for what you do. I think your voice is very much needed in the world, and I, I really appreciate, appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.